Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. A little intro before the intro this week, as since recording this episode, a lot has happened in the wider world as well as closer to home. While the entertainment industry is facing tough times ahead in the near future, I felt it's worth pointing out some good news in reference to this episode. In particular, how one of the shows that we talk about, Baby Reindeer, has since been nominated for an Olivier Award, as has the West End production of Fleabag. So, Without further ado, sit back, switch off for a little bit, and enjoy this chat with an inspirational person, and now Olivier-nominated producer, Francesca Moody. Hello, and welcome to No Pressure, a podcast for creatives, theatre makers, artists, and ambitious souls. I'm Matt Humphrey, photographer and co-founder of Curtain Call, and in this episode I'm so honoured to be talking to the first producer of a little show called Fleabag, which a few of you may have heard about, the wonderful, modest and honest Francesca Moody. She's driven, witty, brilliantly creative and just a joy to speak with. This podcast is all about creators like Francesca, the people that make things happen, who are up against it every day, and yet you'd never know it. When I was researching for the show, it soon became apparent that Francesca has an eye for spotting new writing, and is not afraid of the challenges that comes with that. She backed Fleabag early and took it to the Edinburgh Fringe, and she cut her teeth working as a producer at Payne's Plough. The latest show that she's produced, Baby Reindeer, has just announced its West End transfer in co-production with Sonia Friedman, no less, uh, followed by a New York transfer. It was such a pleasure to meet Francesca and spend time with her on this. We recorded it in an office above the Soho Theatre in London, so you might hear the odd beep of a taxi horn on the street and other background noises, but they all add into the raw mix of what was a very open and honest conversation. I hope you enjoy it. I'm Francesca Moody and I'm a producer and I run my own production company originally named 
Francesca Moody Productions. Amazing. Did you have to fight for that name? <laughs> really fight for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it cost me a lot of money to get that name. <laughs> Great. Well, I'm glad you did. Thank you so much for joining me on this, uh, on this podcast. It's very nice to meet you and to chat with you. And we're here in Soho Theatre, which I guess holds a little bit of history for you. Yeah, very much so, yeah. So, um, yeah, the Soho have kind of long been um, supporters um, of me as a producer and the work that I do. Um, I first started my kind of... I suppose my relationship with Soho started um, when I... um, started working with Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Vicky Jones um, as the producer of their theatre company, Dry Right, back in 2012. Um, and they were uh, producing their first, historically what they've been doing was producing these kind of um, kind of uh, short play nights. Right. Um, and um, then they decided they wanted to uh, produce a full-length play. Um, and uh, I knew Vicky from my time at drama school. Actually, she came and directed me in a show at the Royal College. Oh, that's right, you used to be an actress. I right? did, yeah, yeah. very, Sorry, very... used to be or still? No, or? absolutely, okay. no, definitely used to be, thank God. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's how I'd met her. Um, okay. I'd started producing like, almost straight away when I left drama school and kind of was doing that thing where I stayed in touch with lots of people and right. kind of um, emailed people about little show, fringe shows that I was producing or, or helping out on. And... Um, so Vicky and I had stayed in touch anyway, and then her and uh, Phoebe were doing their first full-length show here at the Soho upstairs, and they but, were associate company here. And that wasn't Fleabag, though, was that it? That wasn't Fleabag, no. no. So that was a play called My Da Die, which right. was um, a play by um, Jack Thorne, who's probably now best known for writing the Harry Potter plays, amongst yeah. many things. Um, and it was a play set in a bathroom, and Phoebe was in it, and Vicky directed it, and there was another actor called Keir Charles who was in it as well. So that's how my relationship with the Soho Theatre really started, through um, through Dry Right. And then, of course, after My Did I, um, we made uh, Fleabag, uh, which hopefully most people who are listening to this podcast yeah. might know something about. I'm sure a few people have. Uh, and, <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, took that show to the Edinburgh Festival. And then um, once we'd done that on our own, the Soho kind of uh, supported us to, to bring it back here and, and then kind of, uh, I guess... Um, grow the production like yeah. over a number of years alongside um, alongside the, its kind of success as a television series. Yeah, definitely. of course. Were you at all involved in that? Or? No, I wasn't really. There's a one um, like one of my greatest regrets of my life is that Phoebe Waller-Bridge asked me to play a teeny tiny part in Fleabag, oh, um, really? season one, like one scene, uh, yeah. and I don't, I didn't have any lines at the time. I was working at Payne's Plough. Okay. And something was going really, um, something something was very tricky. Something very tricky was going on at Payne's Plough, like on a project I was working in, working on that required like lots of attention. And um, I remember sort of having a conversation with myself, you know, in the loo, basically going, "You're not an actress, Francesca. You're a producer." <laughs> and uh, so I had to turn her down because, oh um, yeah, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't give away. So the a bit time. of a regret then. Maybe. Yeah, a bit of a regret, you know. Never mind. You can't have many regrets, though. It no. seems to have gone very nicely for you. Yeah. Well, what a fortuitous kind of line of events to have brought you together with Phoebe and, and Vicky in the first place. Yeah, 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 very much so, yeah. I mean, because um, some, sometimes people ask me whether I... Uh, yeah, whether the fact that I trained at drama school feels like, um, you know, something that was particularly valuable given that I've subsequently not pursued a career as mm. a performer... Um, but actually, that 
I was th I, I think about it often actually I was thinking about it the other day just about how actually instrumental that um that period of time at Royal Welsh College of Mu Music and Drama was for me just in terms of like developing my network because I think as a producer yeah. actually so much of the success that I've had and I think I hope other producers would um, agree with me is about network yeah about meeting people about getting to know people about finding common ground um you know about inspiring each other and then you know finding people to collaborate with and work with so actually yeah. training there at, at drama school really um really helped with that because it introduced me to Vicky it introduced me to a number of people who I've worked with subsequently you know and, and opened multiple doors for me in in ways that you wouldn't necessarily imagine yeah it it's a really interesting industry in that respect isn't it because you kind of you never know where a conversation could end up yeah but also it seems to me that there's quite a few people that start off in one discipline and kind of end up in, in, in another completely different area yeah totally um, yeah, but it's yeah. great that it kind of embraces that um multi-hyphenate trend i guess that a lot of people are kind of experiencing now that you kind of you can be an actor and a producer and a writer yeah um, absolutely i know I, I i completely agree and i think it's that really exciting thing about um yeah i think there's i think there's a a, a really brilliant trend for people just you know grabbing their opportunities and yeah. and um and you know making work for themselves you know i think maybe fleabag is a good example of of that and what Vicky and Phoebe were doing anyway with Dry Bite prior to that, just, you know, actually saying, like, we want, we're going to make the theatre that we want to make and yeah. um, we're going to do it in the way that we want to. And obviously, um, you know, you, you, there are multiple ways you can do that. And, you know, you know, on the baseline, it can you can showcase your own talents or you can stretch yourself and you can meet new people. And, and that's a really inspiring environment to kind of work in, I imagine. But, I mean, so let's go back to that that point and and talk about that a little bit more because I'm really interested because I mean to a lot of people listening obviously Phoebe Waller-Bridge is uh, like a household name now she is and, and <laughs> Vicky Jones hopefully is too as well but at that point in time was it um had you decided that you wanted to produce was it something that you'd already made the decision to kind of go look I don't want to act anymore I'm going to start looking for these other opportunities and yeah it was sort of a very like um sort of very seamless and kind of gentle move from acting mm. into uh, into producing. I, I wouldn't say there was one big moment where I was like, I'm not an actor anymore. Mm. Um, I, uh, I just was always such a, because I went to university before I went to drama school. So I only did a year at drama school, just a post-grad. Okay. Um, rather than full three years. But uh, I was always, like a maker and a doer and um I would always been like that at school as well um and um not very good at uh, sitting at home waiting for the phone to ring and and sorry just to preface that by saying I don't think anybody who isn't also trying to do other things is that is doing that if they're an actor at all sure. but for me like I wasn't really I think as an actor you have to really like it's a job and you have to work really hard to 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 make your opportunities for yourself it yeah. isn't as simple as just Turn, I mean, like for a very small percentage of people, it's as simple as turning up to the auditions and getting the parts. But yeah. actually, for the majority, you have to really work at it. Um, and um, so, 
so I wasn't getting so I wasn't getting the jobs and my agent wasn't really calling and I always really liked to and I was always really passionate about theatre very specifically mm. um, and uh, and so like there were sort of a series of fortunate events which which led me up to I suppose doing that show original show with Vicky and Phoebe mm. um, where I sort of just helped friends out on projects like somebody a director that I'd worked with needed some help on um, some press for a show that he was doing on the fringe and then a friend had written a play and he wanted to put it on so I was sort of and then a friend of mine needed to raise some needed to raise some money for a research and development project and he was over 26 and I was under 26 so we could apply to ideas tap through me oh, yeah. so we did that and so there were all these and it, so it wasn't there wasn't any kind of I didn't I didn't sort of go I'm going to try producing now it just sort of really seamlessly yeah. happened over a period of about a year but I was really enjoy I was essentially really enjoying the the ability to kind of um discover how to use my kind of skills and my knowledge uh my passion for theatre like in a slightly different way yeah but I guess that's down to your characters well, well like being open-minded to kind of say yes to things yeah, but yeah, also yeah. to go out looking for stuff at the same time yeah um uh, and I think that's a real lesson to like a lot of young people coming into the game, whether they're acting or producing or directing. It's just to kind of look for those opportunities mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and just go with it. Yeah, totally. And I think to just be open to try it, to to trying new things and to yeah. seeing if you and to to seeing if you like it, because there are so many there are so many things that you can do in this industry that aren't just. Um, necessarily as evident as like the obvious things like even pro even producing you know um you know it's a it's a very clear you know you can see that there's a producer sure. uh, of a show and you can see that there's an actor of a show and it's just like yeah being open to those opportunities um for kind of working in different areas of the industry I mean, that, that's a skill set right yeah. as well isn't it and you, you can learn how to be a producer did did your time at Payne's Plough help you with that Definitely. That was that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was the kind of good training ground for me because um, up until that point, I suppose I uh, very much sort of learned as I as as I went and sort of I had some support from some um, you know in that way like I built my network and so I would ask questions of kind of people who were doing those jobs right. if I needed answers, but. I mean, I very much had learned how to do it on my own, and and um, I probably made more mistakes than I had um, than 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 right decisions. That's 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 a good thing. Yeah, yeah, it? no, no, no. Yeah. The the yeah, the only way to learn really um, from anything is is by making mistakes. Anyway, in my opinion. Yeah. But um, but yeah, but a pain's plow. I think yeah, what I got a pain's plow was just a really like robust, um, and um, training. Uh, from from the kind of senior team in, in in how to in how to produce and and how to you know how to produce properly but how to do that within the culture of you know um like openness and inclusive inclusivity and sure. also you know learning uh you know the um Payne's Plough is a national portfolio organization so kind of learning that part of the kind of sector and yeah. um you know what what it means to you know what it, what it means to be an, an MPO and what it means to kind of have some um, something that you have to some some targets that you have to hit back essentially to the Arts Council and yeah. um, and also you know I feel very fortunate that I was working in a new writing company as well you know and one that is you know has historically kind of platformed and um, galvanised the careers oh, of some gosh, of the most yeah. exciting Absolutely. writers yeah so so it was sort of simultaneously kind of developing my skills as a producer and stretching me 
and also at the same time developing, helping me to develop my taste yeah. in theatre um, and um, my knowledge of the sector, wider sector, and also my kind of knowledge of writers and um, artists and, that I want what, to work with. And what is your taste? Like, would you... <laughs> what is my taste? Um, I mean, did you, so I, I think I read somewhere that when you first read Fleabag, you just knew. Yeah. Like, and that was before that it, it, it ever gone on stage? Yeah, that's before it went on to stage, definitely. Okay. So I think what so I... So that's your taste. Yes, yeah, so that's my taste. Basically, <laughs> feedback is my taste. Yeah. Um, so I think... So there's like one one thing that's connected to taste for me, which is really important when I'm reading work, is gut instinct. Yeah. Um, so... And it sounds like such an um, unoriginal thing to say, but I, but I think... For me, the most important thing is on the reading of the play, yeah. or that even the discussing of the idea is to have that initial, like really like potent gut instinct. Yeah, like a visceral connection. Yeah, to it, exactly. You, yeah. yeah, and so Fleabag's, Fleabag really taught me um, to to have that instinct. And I think you know, in terms of my taste, obviously that gut instinct is um, is attached to. Um, you know, for me, for me, the most important things in the work that I produce now are that it's um, that it's entertaining, um, and that doesn't mean it has to be like funny, but just that you know it it can be compelling. It's got you gripped. It's yeah. got you gripped exactly. Yeah. It's accessible, so um, it's the kind of theatre that anybody can come and see mm-hmm. um, and take something from. Um, like I don't like to feel like people are being um, lectured when they come to my shows mm. um, and that it's responding to the world right now so it has to feel current obviously my my um, my work tends to be in fact has all been new work so yeah. um, and and so my I think my gut instinct is obviously um, very much attached to um, what's happening going on in the world without even necessarily knowing it I won't necessarily be like oh that's a really current thing that's happening yeah, sure. and I can, I'm connecting it to this play but of course naturally I'm responding to the world around me and what's happening culturally and socially and politically mm. and then that is often feeding into my taste um, but yeah it just has to grip me you know and I mean it's quite interesting actually that a number of the plays that you've produced and have been involved with have been relatively small cast if not one person yes, plays yes is, is that also something that you look for or just happens to be the case like... no I think that's just happened to to be the case and I think um yeah because I've got this I think one of the reasons it it it's maybe ha- happened to be the case um after Fleabag is because I've obviously got a or have as an independent producer certainly have had a reputation for um taking work to the Edinburgh Festival mm-hmm. and um, the Edinburgh Festival feels like the kind of place that people take one person shows to um, for a myriad of reasons sure. um, but I'm not necessarily looking for one person shows um, I think one person shows are often plays that people I often find that playwrights early career playwrights write one person shows either for themselves if yeah. they're kind of actor writers or because it's, um, I'm not a playwright, but that, it, that it's some, something that's, you know, it's easier initially to get your first or second thing like out on yeah. the page in kind of one, one go. Um, I guess that, you know, it must be a work of passion, that first piece for a lot of new writers. 
and therefore something quite pa- uh, personal. Mm. So uh, perhaps it's just the nature of the beast that a lot of these you know pieces of new writing are written you know for one person or for a very small cast totally yeah um, yeah but i guess it also stands up that the play itself is strong enough to not need a lot of production elements to it as well definitely yeah 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 and it's all about words 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 as well you know um the most exciting theater can be uh you know something that doesn't have any set or props or you know it's yeah. just a person standing in a in a room and you know like with Fleabag again for example or even with you know actually we won't use Baby Reindeer as an example which is my show at the bush right now just yeah, because I was ask you about the show. <laughs> there's so much going on in that show and it doesn't have much set but there's a lot um, yeah. but yeah with Fleabag obviously it's just you know one of the most satisfying things for me amongst the many satisfying things about that show is that it's just Phoebe yeah. sat on a chair so there's nowhere to hide you know and it is this just brilliant one hour monologue um oh it's so honest isn't yeah it? it's yeah, fantastic yeah yeah. yeah yeah and um and it's all phoebe and it's all the words and you know that that's kind of enough and you know that's that's really exciting when you can you know when you can do that with theater yeah you know? and and you're right in, in terms of like making it accessible as well because you've you've taken productions abroad right as well yeah 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 is it square go that square went, to... go went to new york yeah yeah and obviously fleabag this year also went to new york so um, but square go was a two-hander which is yeah. quite exciting wow doubled the cast though. i know i know <laughs> i know slightly more expensive to produce but <laughs> um and how did that go because I, I think it was on tour down in brighton it was yeah really, yeah, yeah. Recently, yeah that's the kind of show that should really just uh tour and tour and tour um it's all of the things that I was just saying, you know, entertaining, accessible, like important, current, um, just for everybody. Yeah. Um, uh, in terms of New York, yeah, like New York, taking Square Go to New York was a really good experience for me. Very, very challenging because imagine. it's the New York theatre scene is so um, saturated. Mm. Um, I mean, and I think probably we're saturated here, but I mean, I, I my perception of the, of New York theatre is a lot more saturated than... And also, I think, just working out... It's a big lesson for me taking that show to New York and just thinking about audience mm. and who your audience are. Was it part of the Brits Abroad thing? Yeah, yeah Brits okay. of Broadway at 59 is 59, yeah, which yeah. is a really fantastic Brits way. Brits Abroad, that's a yeah, totally Brits, different thing. Brits Abroad, yeah, that sounds, like, um, <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds like a kind of ITV at 9pm. Yeah, like Benidorm series, Benidorm, so, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it wasn't that. Um, no, it definitely wasn't that. <laughs> um, we wanted to rename it Scots, Scots Off Broadway because it's, um, well, it's, it's such a Scottish play. And so that yeah. thing about audience, just, um, you know, really thinking about who is my audience and how am I going to get them um, to the theatre? And so it was a really big learning, really big learning curve for me. We did, the show did absolutely fine in the end, but it was a little bit scary at times, or a bit hairy, I should say, just because, um, you know, 59 is 59. It's a fantastic, Brits Off Broadway is a fantastic way to get work to New York, particularly if you're a young company or particularly, um, yeah, yeah, it's just not so easy. They're a very supportive environment of theatre, though, as well. Yeah, they? very Brilliant. much so. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. they're and they're really passionate. I think about programming and challenging their audiences because their kind of major subscriber base is is kind of older people. That's right. That's yeah. absolutely fine. Um, so that was, I suppose, the big challenge for us was it wasn't a normal piece of theatre that their subscriber base would engage with. Right. Um, so we had to just think a little bit more um, creatively about how to 
reach our audiences and how to get them to the theatre. Did the production change at all? Because it, it came from Edinburgh, Edinburgh straight away, straight over, did it? Or? No, so it started in Edinburgh in 2018 and that was in Roundabout, um, Payne's, Pla- Payne's Plough's pop-up touring theatre. Okay. And then, uh, and then it went in June, the following June, so actually, and then we went back to Edinburgh this year, so actually we went from... Um, from New York to Edinburgh this year, which was right. nice. Um, the only thing that changed about it, because we, we were very, uh, Finn, the brilliant, uh, Finn Den Hertog, who's the brilliant director of that show, he, you know, we and, and Gary and Kieran who wrote it, like we're all very clear about, you know, not um, shifting and changing something um, to make it more conventionally coherent mm-hmm. for um, a, a, an American audience, because it is so Scottish. Um, and um, and but I think it was the right decision actually ultimately because the story itself is incredibly universal and 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 just very fun to engage with. Yeah. So um, but, the only oh, sorry, carry on. No, I was going to say the only thing that really changed about it was that I suppose we kind of shrunk the show ever so slightly um, because we went from doing it in roundabout, which is one hundred and sixty eight seat ven- in the round venue, and we took it into the smallest space at fifty nine is fifty nine, which was like a kind of think 60 seater venue okay yeah so yeah the only thing that changed was like how do we create this kind of wrestling ring style kind of big crowd show that yeah. encourages audience interaction which totally lends itself to the roundabout in the first place exactly yeah. and it works so well in that space you know how do we how do we how do we move that into a much smaller setting? Yeah. Um, but actually, I think we were very successful. Did you enjoy that challenge? Because that mu- must be part of the challenge of being a producer, right? Is kind of adapting a show to a different venue um, or to a different audience, mm-hmm. demographic, whatever it is. Does that, does that excite you? Does it... Yeah, definitely, yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's, they're, they're kind of fun, creative problems yeah. to kind of solve and, and kind of collaborate with your team on. So... Yes, def- definitely. In 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 that regard, I think, um, very much enjoyed the challenge of kind of downscaling it, and also because I knew, for what was so great about New York was that I knew that Square Go had to have and should have and would have a life outside of Roundabout and Edinburgh, where of course it's it was hugely successful because it's a Scottish show, you know, with a, you know well known Scottish writers and a Scottish team, etc. Um, but it needs to, needed to have a life outside of that, on tour specifically, um, and so it it was a show that I knew would have to flex um, and be flexible in order to make sure that it was kind of going everywhere and yeah. meeting all of those audiences who couldn't come to Edinburgh and who didn't live in New York. Um, so I mean, talk me through the kind of um, ins and outs then of of, of taking a show on because. Obviously, the first thing would be reading the script itself, mm-hmm. and then, and then what happens next? Like for, or how do you do it? What? Um. So for me, so we could take baby. We could actually we could take baby reindeer as an example. Sure. So for me, uh, baby reindeer script lands in my in- email inbox, and I decide to um, read it. I find it very hard to find time to read scripts, which is crazy because that's the most important thing you could do as a producer. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So read the script, absolutely love it, have that instant gut reaction that we were talking about. Yeah. Um, like, just know, know in my like, heart that I really need to produce it, mm. have that real emotional response to it. So know that I need to get the made, find, basically know that I need to get the person who's written it on board 
yeah. working with me essentially so for me the next step after I read a play is um, if it's not a play with someone who I already have a relationship with and so actually Richard Gadd is a really good example of someone who I knew of who I never met and and actually Gadd had the same kind of um, same kind of relationship to me like knew of me and had met okay. me so for me the next step is to meet that person or to meet in that case him and the director John who were both attached mm-hmm. and to kind of I suppose make my case state my case for, for taking on that that project um and then presumably they've sent it to a number of producers right yeah so you're kind of pitching f- for how you're going to do it better or differently or whatever it is totally yeah and okay. i think yeah you're you're going and, and and meeting somebody who and you're saying you know i'm you know you're tr- the most important thing is that you know it's it's like anything like as if an actor is choosing an agent or you know somebody was choosing a, a, a drama school or you know you would you were choosing a lighting designer that you wanted to work mm. with like you need to find some kind of um yeah you, you need to feel like you like each other and that it feels like the right fit and um so you know so as much so it was also about that that in that instinct kind of that initial gut instinct like making sure that that existed in the meeting yeah, sure. as well with the guys from my perspective and then also for their perspective feeling like I was the right sort of person to um produce it um luckily when we met it was absolutely fine and in yeah. fact it turned out later down the line that they thought they were pitching to me and oh, I really? was pitching to them so, <laughs> <laughs> so that was very nice so yeah, yeah it, it was you know we were we already kind of wanted to work with each other which was good nice. um and then from there um it's basically uh um all full steam ahead in lots of different ways right. so it's uh, i suppose working out where and how you're putting the show on yeah um so in the case of baby reindeer it was about uh persuading Gad that Edinburgh was the right market to present that show in. Mm-hmm. Um, for the first time, right? For the that first was, time yeah, premiering okay. it. Um, and it was about... Um, I didn't take much persuading, I should say. It's just that he had a long... He's got a long history of presenting work at the Edinburgh Festival. Um, but for me, um, it was about thinking about, like, in terms of that show and the long life of that show mm. and the potential of that show, like what's the best way to start its journey off? Sure. Because at the moment, I suppose the level that I'm producing at, uh, because the work starts small and tends to um, to grow over mm. a number of years, yeah, it's just thinking like, how can I give that show the best chance to kind of flourish in a, in a long-term capacity for, for, for me as the producer and for the artists involved? Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, yeah, so it was. So it's like, where's it going? Okay, it's going to Edinburgh because Edinburgh is a perfect place to kind of um, start a show like this. Gad's already got a relationship with the audiences there. Yeah. There's going to be a buzz around it. It'll be a really good way to launch launch it for a London run. And actually, um, uh, thinking about where that London run was, um, and the Bush had already supported a kind of uh, kind of reading of the play so okay. and they were very interested in the show so actually kind of making sure that that was all nipped in the bud yeah. before Edinburgh um so that was like one strand was like doing that the other bit was putting the team together okay so that was me Gad and John Britton who's the director working out kind of how we see the show kind of being realized and who the right people are to help us do that um and um, and that's when like when my job I think is really exciting um, 
well, all of this is very exciting, but I love this bit because I've had the great pleasure of working with so many mm. um, brilliant creatives over, over the years. And actually I've started to build these really kind of meaningful relationships with lighting designers and sound designers. Right. And, um, and so, and, and, and I really like being part of that conversation. Yeah. And, um, and of course, by this point, we know that we're gonna go and take um, Baby Reindeer to Roundabout in Edinburgh, and I have a long history of working with that venue anyway. Square Go was in there, sure. and then before that, I worked for Paint Plough. So I know the venue very well, so I could sort of think about who are the right people to work with that space, because it is yeah. a challenging space in many yeah. ways. Um, so, that, so, you, so you're sort of doing that in tandem as well. And then you're doing all the kind of like, boring admin side of stuff like contracting people yeah. and um, sorting out the logistics once you've got you know once you've got your team together yeah, it's and not all award shows is no it? Yeah. <laughs> unfortunately not and also thinking about kind of like how do we package this show and yeah. um and present it to audiences and, and again what's that thing that's gonna make sure that this is the show that people know about you know yeah. and that that's when you start to think about marketing um but again that's all collaborate you know at, at my at my level right now that's all about collaboration that's yeah. all about like talking to richard and john and thinking about you know it's, it's such a wonderful industry for that really, yeah. isn't it yeah i mean yeah. you say you talk about your like collaboration and 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 the the royal way as well as the collaborative way mm -hmm. in terms of working with a creative team but you've i mean you've set yourself up now as as an independent mm -mm. and individual producer. Mm -mm. Um, I imagine Sonia Friedman did the same thing a few yep. years ago, <laughs> uh, but now there's a whole factory, not factory, but a lot of people working with her. Do you, do you see yourself kind of going that way or is this just at the moment you want to work on your own and you've mm -hmm. taken that leap and you're going to do that for a little while? Or? No, I definitely see myself going that direction. Um, yeah, I mean, my ambition is very much to you know it's up like an upside down down triangle isn't it it's like to sure. grow the to grow the to grow the organization um and to you know produce work which is more um which is more ambitious and it's bigger and goes to bigger theaters sure um i mean at the moment i think i'm you know I, you know I want to tour work I want to take it internationally I would yeah. like to do some more work on the West End like I was gonna so, say you're doing all right yeah you've done international shows like a yeah. West End show Edinburgh all yeah, over yeah, the place yeah. so yeah I think so and I like to think um for me yeah I'm thinking really ambitiously about like how can the work get bigger and yeah. you know in, in in all sorts of contexts like you know bigger casts um bigger productions generally you know um more places um uh, like excuse the crude question but mm -hmm. is that purely a financial question or is that it is it is a financial question it is a financial question so i suppose what i'm doing yeah because the work costs money and that's the other thing that i didn't talk about when i was talking about uh yeah, you know, what we do. no it's that. totally fine um with the work yeah the other big thing is to is to work out how you're paying for it and to raise yeah. that money um so yeah so it is a financial question because it, it uh, and so that's why it's a kind of road it's a road of growth really because I suppose what I'm doing at the moment is I'm is I'm you know making my statement of intent as Francesca Media Productions proving that I've got you know hopefully that I've got good taste and that, mm -hmm. that I support and make good work and then you know each time I then and you know building my relationship with artists so that they know the type of work that I like and then when I get around to commissioning or developing work with them they can you know we can talk about how, how much 
you know what we want to do with that but also yeah. about those people who are i suppose those organizations that i'm working with in co-production or uh you know funder whether it's whether it's funders like the arts council or whether it's invest you know investors on a more, more commercial model i'm kind of proving my i'm sort of Your like value proposition yeah exactly yeah, you're yeah. a startup yeah yeah, yeah. Day, exactly yeah that's yeah. exactly what it is and so it's just about you know i'm just on that journey i suppose about yeah. scaling the work in that way really um, but it's exciting. It is exciting. <laughs> it's really exciting to see it as well. Um, I'm going to kind of go to slightly off, off yeah. key here. Yeah, of course. Um, why do you think there's not typically a lot of women producers? And we've talked about Sonia, but really, the, you know, she stands out because she's done an incredible job mm-hmm. over the last 20 years mm-hmm. of making a name for herself and being affiliated with extremely successful productions but it starts with an acorn right so and but how much has that changed the atmosphere and and the environment that you you've kind of set yourself up in as a Mm -hmm. as a young female producer within the industry yeah so i think the reason i think that there aren't so i think what sonia is is she's like absolute 100 percent goals for um certainly for me just in terms of what she's doing like everything that you said rings so true um absolutely incredible productions um you know done really really well and there really isn't another you know she's she you know she's really yeah she's really doing something very exciting Mm. um i think the reason there aren't that i think there are a lot of female producers but i think um they are inside buildings and um in the subsidized sector i think we are without looking at any statistics you know i'd I'd say that in the in the in the in the subsidized sector there are there are way more female we're way more female heavy than we are male heavy no 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 no, no. an incorrect assumption there no no not at all i think you're you're but the producers that we i suppose the producers that we hear about and we know about Mm. like the camera mackintoshes of the world for example you know that bill chem writes like the the re yeah the the reason i think it mean it's it's just it's just that that thing about you know women are you know we're we're sort of we're sort of on a journey in terms yeah. of our own um you know for opportunities for for female for women in the arts generally and for i mean for you know women globally um and um and have you felt that shift that landscape shift over the last kind of 10 years or so um i definitely feel the land like it hasn't i suppose it hasn't impacted me directly um in a way that i felt like a big a big shift because i think i'm part of that group of um younger people younger i'm not young but you know younger people who are are quite young (laughs) (laughs) Young youngish yeah yeah um that are that are uh haven't getting getting gaining those opportunities because yeah. there has been this movement to kind of yeah remove some of the barriers um i think you're right in terms of like women producers within buildings and you know there's vicky featherson's done an amazing mm-hmm, job at the royal mm-hmm, court mm-hmm. for example yeah um now at the bush theater as well yeah you know, yeah it's yeah. fantastic to see lynette there as, yeah you know so there is there is a kind of groundswell of Definitely. If there's a glass ceiling, it's being broken. Yeah, totally. I completely agree with you. And I think there is a fantastic... And so I think, yes, I agree with you that there has been, like... I think there is a shift, like a, a more kind of... A, a bigger shift, like, that you can see of of more women running buildings. Yeah. Um, which uh, will directly be impacting um, 
uh, yeah, us uh, smaller ones, um, I think. Um, but yeah, and I, I, I think it's only a matter of time before there are a few more kind of, mm. you know, Sonia Friedman's of the, of the, Francesca of the Moody's. Of this world. <laughs> um, um, yeah, and I think you know, but I think you know, as women, I think we are we're doing we I think we're doing okay. Um, you know, I think you know, I've you know the arts could be doing more to. Um, to encourage, I think we could do more for I diversity. Think they could really. probably always be doing more yeah. in that respect, definitely. Yeah. I think, in terms of the work that you've done, it's re- it's really interesting to have seen the plays that you've already produced, and uh, and I'm and I'm wondering kind of what's next, and whether you've got anything in the pipeline mm. or not, or whether this is. I'm sure you do. I do. So have something. spill the beans. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so, at the moment, the one. Thing that I definitely know that I'm that's new is a new play that I'm developing with Morgan Lloyd Malcolm. Oh right. Yeah, who who some people will know and some people won't, but she's best known for writing a play called Amelia, which was on at the Globe and um, did fantastically well, and then went into the West End and was just a absolutely incredible yeah. piece of theatre. Yeah, it was. Um, so I'm working with her and a director called Abigail Graham um, to develop a new play um, called Mum which is about being a parent, about being a mum. But oh, it's, it started, I think, it sort of started life, I suppose, as something that felt like it could be a thriller about postpartum psychosis, but it's okay. kind of moved on from that to be something which is much more about um, what it feels like to have a... When you have a child, all those crazy places your mind can go to in terms of what could possibly happen. Yeah. Um and so it is so it is a thriller and it will keep the audience guessing but it is also you know about real lived experience of being a parent i mean i'm not a parent you're a parent so maybe you can identify well, I'm, not, more. I'm not a mum but i no. can yeah i can certainly see that yeah. um it sounds like a really daring piece and a really interesting piece that i'm sure we'll do we'll have an audience yeah as we're talking about accessibility yeah it's definitely gonna have an audience definitely and i think um, yeah talking about something which you know yeah, we should be we should be putting on stage, I think. And, yeah. um And it's a three hander, so three three actors. Amazing. Which, you know, going upscaling. Up, going up one by one. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Um, and in terms of of that project, I mean, how how far along is that? Is that um, so early days or? Yeah, it's sort of like we're sort of sort of midway, I suppose. So we kind of know what we're supposed to be doing with it, but nothing set in stone. So I couldn't I couldn't really say, but um, you know, I've got like a plan in my head of when it's um, happening next year okay. and who the partners are to help us put it together really Amazing. I'm really looking forward to that yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and you, you mentioned downstairs about uh, having not necessarily a quiet time but a quieter time than you've had, had over the last kind of six months or so yeah, yeah. Is, is that a moment for you to kind of reanalyze and go well look I don't want to take on too much or are you not at that point just yet in um, terms of no 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 that's it's, you're it's exactly what I'm doing. I'm actually okay. doing a bit of retrospective strategy, I think. Excellent. So looking at what uh, worked over the last... Because um, really, Francesca Media Productions got set up in uh, 2018 when I was working at, with another company called Curious Directive. But, um, uh, yeah, but sort of my initial strategy for the, sh- for the company generally was just, like, throwing things at the wall and, like, producing the shows that I wanted to, to do. So, yes, and now I'm in that place of... Of retrospectively looking at what worked, what didn't, mm. and like how, yeah, how how I can kind of 
um, evolve the way I work on shows and what I might need in order to help the business uh, grow or to help the shows flourish or be more ambitious and that's probably working with other people yeah um, what co-producers co-producers and I think also you know working towards maybe employing other people on the shows you know whether sure. that's like other freelance producers who come and work for me on a project by project basis or whether yeah. it's somebody who works in a more um you know um in a in a longer term capacity to help me kind of grow things yeah well you've gone from zero to one and I think you know that next step of kind of expanding the team as well is really is really crucial to do it in the right way yeah, obviously totally. yeah, yeah, um that yeah. we've kind of spoken about you you essentially being like a startup and a I'm kind of drawing the parallels here a little bit, but it does um, it does certainly feel like you've kind of proven your traction, you've got an audience, you've got some really good milestones behind you, and now you're kind of ready for that for that next step. And I'm really excited to see <laughs> how that how that pans out. Me too. <laughs> are, are you sticking just to theatre? Are you? Um, are you interested in screen work at all? Or? Definitely interested in screen work. Okay. And yeah, I think because some of, quite a bit of the work that I've produced has has gone on, Fleabag being the obvious one, but mm. um, has has gone on to have a life in a in a television context. And I think you know we're we're in a really exciting time right now. It's never been more exciting to be making and telling stories and having yeah. ideas. Like the world is desperate for content, and um, and so absolutely in terms of the sustainability of the business I've definitely thought about how you know working in screen or how working with television companies or film companies can help um facilitate um this work the theatre work and also help me grow into that area at the same time. Do you think that's just how it is now that if you're going into theatre you've got to have an eye on also going on to screen productions or? Um, I don't think so I mean I think it really depends what you want to do yourself mm. but um, but I think I think most producers in some way are thinking about you know I, not most producers sorry I don't want to tarnish everybody with the same brush <laughs> but like I think you know from a business perspective it makes a lot of sense to me yeah um, yeah just finding new ways of collaborating and thinking maybe just a, just a little bit more outside the box in terms of who your partners are mm. um, and you know a really good example of that is you know even the, the, so the Soho Theatre they have a partnership with um, NBC um, Universal right um, and um, and I think NBC basically uh, sponsor their um, sponsor a development programme for writers and um, so even it, you know even you know you big organisations thinking about like how can they foster a relationship mm. with um, uh an organisation in a different medium who might be able to facilitate kind of because a lot of the work does start you know if you look at some of the some of the people that are really succeeding in in, in television writing right now um, uh, they're all they all started in theatre you know oh, like gosh, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah Mike Bartlett doing Dr Foster or you know Lucy Preble and Succession or you know Phoebe and yeah. Fleabag um, so that you know or Jack Thorne writes loads for TV so just just thinking actually you know this is where where a lot of those people start. Um, yeah, absolutely, and I think it goes back to that um, accessibility as well. Like, there seems to be an expectation now that you can consume content wherever you are, mm. but I guess that's what's so magical about theatre in a way is that you have to go to a venue and you have to sit down and experience that. 
are you interested in how theatre can and is evolving you know there's a there's a, so many more immersive theatre productions now but you've also got theatre appearing on the big screen I mean you know Fleabag was put on MT Live and uh, there's over the last kind of 10-15 years there seems to have been also like a bit of a, a shift to to get more people seeing theatre but in a different context yeah is that something that you're interested in professionally definitely yeah yeah yeah. and I used to think that um I think you know five or six years ago I might have felt a bit funny about or I was a bit huffy about um the idea of NT Live or you know there are plenty of other organizations doing something similar to NT Live but actually I think there's um like I think it's like the true democratization of the work you know mm. not everybody can come and see the show in London you know and yes we should be finding better ways to make sure that that really brilliant work has a life regionally for example yeah. but when that's not always possible actually that access that point of accessibility that something like NT Live offers for example I think is really um I think is really brilliant um, and I, you know, the quality of the way that it's um, produced, I think yeah, often it's outstanding. It's outstanding. It? And mm. I myself have been, you know, and I live in London, so I've got, you know, the best of the best on my doorstep. Mm. And I still go and see stuff, NT Live stuff, because sometimes I literally can't get a ticket. Yeah. And it's the only way I can see the show. And, you know, obviously I consume theatre at a much a higher rate than, you know, the average, you know, person um but yeah i think there's you know I, I i'm i'm very interested in finding ways of using i would absolutely say that that's part of you know finding ways of, of using different mediums yeah. to you know like absolutely democratize and you know um offer the work and actually when i even when i worked at Payne's plow we did some live streaming of we live streamed um on youtube uh, a show that i produced for Payne's plow called with a little bit of luck mm. um that uh or not was it with a little bit of luck or maybe it was um hopelessly devoted kate tempest show but anyway just that opportunity to you know show more people like what it is and to not shy away from the fact that it's a piece of theater you know as well i think it's a really exciting time to be coming into the industry as well because you kind of know that it's not just going to be bunch of theatre productions in a proscenium arch theatre and that's the only way that you can consume the, this art form there's it's it's all over the place now and that it it's wonderful to be able to see um theatre productions springing up in disused buildings mm. and these immersive productions as well and it's really as an art form i feel like it's re- really going through a bit of a renaissance at the moment definitely yeah um, yeah i think so and i i, I think there's you know there's such a demand for that type of work, the kind of more immersive yeah. work, like the punch drunk, the the secret cinema, the you know the, those you know Alice's adventures in in Wonderland, like that yeah. they hid in the vaults, like all of that stuff is really, you know, I think yeah, with every show that you produce or every show that is on that people come and see, like even the ones that feel inherently more commercial or mm. designed in those cases often to. Um, to satisfy the kind of the need for the general public of like different experiences yeah um like somebody might come and see that show and they might go oh i didn't realize like this is what theater could be like yeah sure absolutely amazing and i had such a nice night with my friends but maybe now i'll go and see a show at the you know at the soho theater yeah you know 
So I think that there's all of that stuff is playing its own part in um, breaking down barriers to access, encouraging people to think about theatre in different ways, telling people that theatre is for them, inviting them in, and kind of, you know, building building um, audiences for the work, which is kind of, you know, underpins the entire sustainability of theatre, really, yeah. the theatre industry. Amazing pitch for theatre there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was quite impressed with myself when I said, oh my God, I can't believe these words are coming out of my mouth. <laughs> no, absolutely spot on. Um, I'm going to kind of round up with a, with a couple of questions. What is your, what's your favourite moment in the life of a production? Ooh. From first receiving the script to first night. Oh, I think my favourite moment is probably opening night. Um, the being able to see, like my favourite thing is is seeing audiences' reactions to shows. Um, so like in in Edinburgh, I used to love standing outside baby, outside the uh, roundabout um, when people coming out of Baby Reindeer in Square, yeah. going like hearing people talk about it. Yeah, what a thrill! Yeah, so yeah. nice because you know at the end of the day we make work for audiences, and so it's so nice to you know hear what people really thought. Um, but certainly, yeah, I think opening night because I think opening night is is a, is a, it's an amazing climax to you know often you know anything from to you know anything from two years to yeah. you know six months worth of work and it's um very satisfying like experience to kind of see that to you know one of the great pleasures of my job is that there's there's something really tangible at the end yeah. of it like there's a show on stage and also there are people who are experiencing it and you can well, see that is brilliant thing. because typically you don't just have one opening night either do yeah. you because you tend to go to another venue afterwards exactly so exactly yeah just keep on having them love the opening nights yeah, yeah. and of course all the alcohol is all the free booze <laughs> <laughs> it's not free i'm paying for it usually but you know. <laughs> <laughs> drinks are on you yeah um and okay so how how much do you use music in your productions and is there because i know that you know some people kind of always warm up to the same music track or like if you could pick a, a warm-up track what would it be oh god or is there a piece of music that you kind of always come back to and think i think no but i often find that that shows come um, that i often find for me that that the shows often have a, like a th- end up having like a theme song. Yeah. You know, so that's often the one that I I find like I'll ident- I'll identify with the show or that will warm me up for the show or um, will be the one that I listen to and will always remind me of the show. So right. it really depends on it really depends on the show. Yeah. I think like music plays a really big part in you know music's so important for 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 memory and um, nostalgia and. Um, yeah, so I think yeah, it massively depends on the show. I have to say. Yeah. yeah okay. Well, let's take let's take a couple of shows okay. if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Square Go. Oh, Square Go. Um, it's probably uh, well, the, all the music for Square Go was originally composed by Frightened Rabbit. That's um, kind of what I was. Thinking, yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, like any of any of the music from that show, really. But there's a kind of theme. Um, there's a there's a theme song. Um, which is for a section of the show called The Seven Attributes of Being a Man, um, which is very good. But okay. also, I think the pre-show for that show is just so good. It's like, like you know, songs that are like designed to like g up the g up the uh, the audience, and they're okay. not songs by Frightened Rabbit. They're like songs like 
Franz Ferdinand, Take Me Out and Psycho oh, Killer. Brilliant. But they those songs really remind me of, of that show and really get me energised and, and actually just like energise me generally when I listen to them. Because yeah. one, they remind me about the show and the people that I've worked with and how much fun I always have when I'm watching that show. Uh, and two, I mean, you know, they just G me up, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, what about Baby Reindeer, your current baby? Oh, Baby Reindeer. Um, probably like the Pogues, generally. Um, okay. uh, in the pre Yeah, in the pre-show. Um, I think... Um, yeah, it's hard with that one because... Uh, music plays quite an important part in it but it's all very subtle the way it's okay. um so i haven't seen it yet yeah, I'm yeah, dying yeah. To see it, so. oh yeah well you have i won't say too much then you have okay. to see it okay i'll just, just have to come up with it. <laughs> perfect thank you so much for pleasure. taking the time to speak with my me. pleasure thank you um, it's really nice to meet you and it's really great to explore kind of how you've got to where you are and where oh, you're going yeah. so yeah thank you very Thanks much thank you so much for having me no worries <laughs> Thank you for listening to the No Pressure Podcast. Some very quick housekeeping. You can follow us on at No Pressure Podcast, at Curtain Call, and you can follow Francesca at Francesca Moody Productions. If this is your first listen and you like it, please rate and review on whichever service you're listening to this on. And if you didn't like it, well, thanks for listening and peace be with you. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.